amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Again, Donald Trump, with his despicable lies, has lit a fire beneath Republican state legislatures, and they have launched the most sweeping voter suppression efforts in at least, in at least 80 years. More than 250 bills in 43 states were introduced just between the months of January and February that would restrict the right to vote. So, hey, it's Voting Rights Day in uh, Washington, uh, Gibbs. And uh, who better to decode all of this theater for us than the great Amy Walter from The Cook Report? I'm looking forward to the decoding. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, decoder. And, Thank you. And honorary I didn't hack. bring my I brought my ring from the <laughs> cereal box of my youth to try to put that to work. So, look, I don't want to – I mean, I think that this, this – uh, it is Not extraordinary to watch this cascade of uh, <laughs> right. of bills around the country based on, and they are based on a lie, basically that the last election was somehow fraudulent, and therefore we have to take uh, draconian steps to try and stop this fraud from happening again. That's not true, but it's also true that this is kind of theater today, isn't it, Amy? Right. That uh, this is this is not going to get sixty votes. We all know that, <laughs> and we know that. Um, this bill actually that is being voted on was was put together actually, and I remember this back in 2018 as sort of a messaging bill for the 2018 election. Sort of a here's what Democrats stand for, right? It was a big overarching bill, not just about voting rights, but it it was really at least in 2018 a bill, uh, or at least the emphasis was on the other piece of this legislation, which was on campaign finance. Right. Right. And if you remember that midterm election, so many of those candidates ran on no corporate money pledges and we're going to take special interests out of Washington. And right. that was the focus. Then 2020 happened. It was like, oh, right. Well, we have a bill for this because <laughs> that H.R. 1 also deals with voting rights. So let's now change the sort of aperture, I guess, and focus right. on the other piece of this. But but the reality is was always going to be difficult in getting 60 votes for this. And so now it becomes, I guess, a rallying cry, right? Look at how terrible Republicans are. Look at how much they're trying to stop voting rights. Democrats get fired up about this uh, and bring that energy into the 2022 elections. But it obviously does very little in terms of having an impact on what's already been done at the legislative level. Amy, I'm wondering, do do you see how do you see campaigns? Uh, obviously, they're they're in their infancy, so we haven't, you know, we don't. They're not deeply into the cycle. But is this a message that is 
going to work writ large? Or is this one of those kind of Washington and capital city stories that doesn't really become a voting issue? No pun intended. Yeah, no, it's such a good question because I think in some places, like in Georgia, where Stacey Abrams was able to take that energy and really translate it into action, right? I mean, both in registering and turning out voters, voters of color, especially who hadn't been engaged in the process. So it, it, it really was, I think, a critical message that, that showed uh, its, you know, that, and she showed that it could work. Now, on the other side of it, I was telling someone the other day, I sat in some focus groups in early spring. So this is before we've had all this debate. This qualifies you as a hack that, that you I sat, sat in on a focus group. Focus group. Willingly. Yeah, so, yeah. Willingly sat in a focus your, group. Your card is in the mail. If you uh, ate M&Ms like Axe used to do <laughs> while you were watching the focus group, you might be a, you could be a co-host. You're a, you're a massive hack. <laughs> I, you do become a massive hack doing that, by the way. You guys, this is the problem, though. We we don't do them behind the window anymore. Now we can no, do them all on true. Zoom. Yeah, it's not You can boring. stay healthy. It's not as fun. I yeah, know. I just called boring. Costco. They sent me gigantic bags of M&Ms, and I watch at home. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, these were the kinds of swing voters that, and again, with the caveat, small group of people. Let's not take too much into this. But look, these are folks who some of them were Trump Biden voters. Yeah, right. Some of them were voters who voted for Trump, but they really didn't like him, but they were just sort of like, uh, I'm a Republican. Mm-hmm. They all agreed January 6th was awful, mm-hmm. but none of them believed that the Congress was really going to overturn the election, right? They still saw all of it as theater, right? That these Republicans who voted for this or who talk like this about the Electoral College and fraud. They're just doing it to make Trump happy. They're just doing it because they have to win a primary. They don't really believe it. They're not really going to do it. So this idea that there is this existential threat to our democracy, making that message stick with non-democratic voters is a challenge. So I think it has to be presented in a way that I think that the message to your point, Robert, of should we send a message as Democrats of our democracy is literally at stake? didn't seem to be as motivating of a factor as do you think that it's fair for people to be able to do X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's more of a turnout message. Yeah. That's yeah. it, Amy. I, I don't think this yeah. is a message for the swing voter. This is a message to encourage democratic turnout. Yeah. You're going to yep. get, there, there's going to be a barrage of messaging saying Mitch McConnell wants to take your vote away. Mitch McConnell is counting on you not showing up. Uh, So, I mean, I think that's what this is about. This is all about turnout among the base in in 2022. Now, I I will, I have to say, you know, this notion of uh, Republicans overturning elections uh, becomes more serious if these bills stand, and they apparently will unless the courts intervene. not so much because of voter ID or some of these other provisions, but because of those states where legislatures would now have the authority to actually exactly. intervene and overturn the 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 count of local election authorities. That is what Donald Trump wanted. 
You know, and I, I kind of think Democrats are making a big messaging mistake here by not focusing on that, which really is a missile headed toward the guts of democracy. If 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 elected officials of one party can overturn re- re- results they don't like, holy smokes, Donald Trump might have been president, you know, uh, if that kind of thing uh, were uh, possible in 2020. And it may be what we face in 2024. But let me ask you guys about Manchin in all of this. I mean, there's so many layers to this that are interesting. Manchin against this big behemoth of a bill that you're talking about, the For the People Act, 800 pages uh, that deals with a whole range of issues, including campaign finance. Uh, And he comes in with a skinny bill that uh, uh, takes on some of the voting rights issues uh, uh, about early voting and so on, uh, includes voter ID and voter protection stuff that Republicans like, and he offers it as a compromise. Um, and uh, But nobody, that that's theater too, right. because McConnell said immediately, we're not for that either. Right. I'm detecting a pattern. Yeah. Well, then they, then, and then the final, the final, element of this is um, this will not become law because you don't have 60 votes and you have a filibuster. And now both Manchin and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, uh, who just, she just published a, an op-ed in the Washington Post that was actually, I thought, pretty well, uh, well-reasoned. If you, if you, if you want to preserve the filibuster, she made a very uh, well-reasoned argument for, but she made it very clear. She's not, she's not changing. She's not budging. So the big headline of the week is there isn't going to be action on voting rights in the Senate, and there isn't going to be an overturning of the filibuster. I mean, those are the two realities of the week. Everything else is theater. That's right. I think the practical short-term impact is, I think that's going to provide a lot of tension between the progressive left and the Biden administration, because this is where you get this idea of, well, we should be trying harder. We should be accelerating these efforts. We should be doing more. Biden and Harris should be out using the bully pulpit on this. And then we get back into this sort of circular argument that we've now been having for six months on the the firing squad. Yeah. But it's just sort of like we go through this over and over again on the filibuster. And I think to your point, David, you know, I don't think that Cinema and Manchin are moving. I think whether we like this or not, every senator, everybody in the U.S. Senate has taken part in a filibuster in which the minority thwarted the majority. Whether, regardless of, of, of how long you've been there, you've been part of one of those filibusters. And so there is that, while I think you should get rid of it, there is the argument that people can naturally say, yeah, we were able to stop something we couldn't have stopped because we had the rules written this way. But I do think the short-term tension is really going to be on the left here because, as you mentioned, David, the messaging on this is amped way, way, way up. I mean, this is, you know, this has gone right to the end of existential crisis. Uh, and I, I think it's it will be interesting to watch kind of when you layer this into the tension on other issues like infrastructure uh, and spending, 
you know, look, I, I remember 2009. It was a long, hot summer in Washington, and that had very little to do with the temperature uh, <laughs> on the thermometer. It just was you, you're in that time period of, uh, as you said, a little bit of a circular firing squad. The other interesting thing about this discussion, what's evolved this week is Manchin's bill does include national voter ID, like voter ID for everyone. Uh, it has been orthodoxy among Democrats that voter ID equals voter suppression and that uh, if you're a Democrat and you believe in democracy, you've got to be against voter ID. The truth is uh, a majority of Americans support it. And and this is interesting. I had this discussion with uh, our buddy, uh, Joel Benenson, who's done some polling on this. Uh, and, you know, it turns out that a majority of African-Americans support voter ID. Why? Because they think if you have documentation, they can't screw with you. Uh, and and this week, Stacey Abrams embraced the mansion bill that would have codified voter ID. So that was kind of a subtext to all this, too. <laughs> well, the, and, and bringing to light what you were saying earlier, David, about this being theater. Look, I, I think the point you made about what is happening at the sort of micro level, not just at the state level, but at the county and precinct level, where it's not just simply you know, they can literally throw out ba ballots as fear that the state legislature can have control over that, but that you can remove people from these election boards or, uh, you know, oversight. And what I remember about 2020 is I spent a lot of time talking to like the county election officials around the country, right? And you guys know who these people are. That's why you are who you are. These are, these are like the nicest most yeah. dedicated people yeah. they make no money right they are doing this as a civic service by the way they used to make a lot of money at it here in cook county but they don't anymore <laughs> <laughs> but like these are just good regular people and these were the people literally who had to stand in the breach in 2020 right who were standing up to a lot of pressure from all kind they were getting death threats all of these things yeah um you remove those people from this process now things i agree with you now things start to get really scary and again it's not simply that people are i don't believe that legislatures are going to say well so and so won but we found 10,000 votes that are illegal and now every election has been overturned as much as it is just here and there in certain precincts you change the process or the people that has a huge impact in these states where 10,000 votes is the difference between winning and, and losing. I mean, I think where the where the energy will be going, and I, I, I agree with both of you that it is sort of ramped up now. It is going to turn into sort of a, a, a turn out the base message for 2022, but where it would be also more effective than in a circular firing squad or in having more discussions about filibuster, which is not going away anytime soon is to focus on two of the states where we know battles are going to continue for the future, both for the presidential Senate, uh, is Georgia and Arizona, mm -hmm. both of which have um, governor's races next year. Um, you know, those two places should be like absolutely ground zero if yeah. you are, you know, to, for, for Democrats who say, I really want to make sure. now. Does that help in 2022? No, but it certainly 
keeps the focus for 2024 and keeping Democratic governors in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, um, and Michigan. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. You know, yeah. I share, you know, the consternation about, you know, the the filibuster is, to, is supposed to prevent the tyranny of the majority, but it's become a tool for the tyranny of the minority. Yes. And uh, it's a really frustrating thing. And Mitch McConnell is a serial abridger of democratic norms uh, for his own political purposes. This drives people nuts. And but the but but I'll tell you what drives me nuts is the incessant goddamn whining about how Republicans are strong, Democrats are weak. The fact of the matter is, I remember, you know, uh, I remember uh, John McCain walking out on the floor of the Senate and turning his thumb down and saving the Affordable Care Act. Uh, you know, this idea that somehow they know how to get what they want and Democrats don't. You know, there are certain things. There is there are Democratic norms and their heart, you know you can't just ignore them. Uh, but we will hear the whining. Uh, I am. I am sure about that. And uh, we're going to see today. I mean, there's this is a math problem, right? This is a, you know, whether it's 60 votes, but you're also, you know, it, it's this is life also in a 50 50 Senate. This yeah. is not a, you, you know, and, and I would just say to any Democrat that, that wants to change, you know, either the Senate representation in West Virginia or Arizona, c- contemplate what it's like at 48. It's a uh, it's a it's a different deal. Or go pick up <laughs> seats in other states where yeah. you might be able to it's a to add. Deal. So you're not in a fifty fifty deal. But this whole thing, I maybe I t- uh, maybe I I've said this here before, but you remember this story back in uh, two thousand and ten when uh, you know they used to send us Amy down to the caucuses when the senators or con- Congress people were pissed. You know, it was like a form of human sacrifice where they'd send someone down from the White House to get yelled at for several hours. And I was often the, I was often the, uh, the, the guy who went. And uh, when uh, we lost the Senate in 2000 and, uh, and uh, well, 10, 10, when we lost, the, we lost our 60, lost when Ted Kennedy yeah. died. Oh, right, when right, Ted right. Kennedy died, we had 59 votes in the Senate right. and not 60. The Senate had passed the Affordable Care Act with the 60. Now we had 59 and um, uh, and the senators wanted the House to pass their bill. The House didn't like their bill. You remember this whole thing. It went yeah. on for months. But I would go down to the Senate caucus, and Al Franken, my friend, stands up, and he's big, big drama. I'm just, I'm doing a slow burn over here. I'm just, I'm just livid. <laughs> Why doesn't the president just tell the House to pass that Senate bill? And... Uh, and I'm like, hey, Senator, if you have 218 votes, you know, do the country a favor and ankle on over to the House <laughs> side and give it to the Speaker because she doesn't have that list. And until she has that list, she's not going to call the bill. She's working on that project. And of course, she did get the votes ultimately to pass the Affordable Care Act. But that's sort of this, you know, it's like, just tell Manchin and Cinema <laughs> right. they've got to vote against the filibuster. I mean, they're, they've got a D next to their names. It's not that easy, folks. It's not that easy. And we know that the, the least the, the least kept secret in Washington, too, is it's not just those guys. Right? No, I know. No, I you know. wrote a great column on this. You wrote uh, a great it, column yeah. on this about go talk about this. The heat shield theory. 
Yeah, that, you know, look, there are plenty of moderate and, and also sort of traditionalists, uh, sort of Senate traditionalists in the Senate right now who also are very wary of getting rid of the filibuster, but they can't afford to get the pushback from progressives in the way that Manchin can. I mean, Manchin getting attacked by liberals in West Virginia is actually great for him, right? That doesn't hurt him at all or hurt his brand at all. And so he does, he, he provides this heat shield for others, especially those up in 2022, who would have to take a tough vote on a filibuster, would get pressured from the left, who could not afford to see uh, their donations from, you know, these individuals or groups dry up going into an election. And so he's happy to sort of stand in the breach as, as is Kirsten Cinema. Um, but I would bet you today, you know, if you had to take a vote and if you listen to the to, to, to other people getting pushed, other senators getting pushed, They'll say things like, yeah, it needs to be like maybe reformed and maybe a talking <laughs> filibuster and maybe blah, blah but not, they're not yeah. saying, yeah. you're right, let's blow it up. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yeah, I think this the practical impact, and you touched on this, Amy, in, in our question. I, I think the practical impact is this is going to s occupy a significant part of the get out the vote effort mm -hmm. that you see Democrats make. And, and, you know, if you're a, obviously Stacey Abrams, it's in her wheelhouse, but for others in some of these States, you mentioned Arizona and places, Texas, you, you know, I mean, legislatures don't take away rights that aren't valuable enough to be taken away. And I think you'll hear a lot of rhetoric around that. My guess is that um, you're going to have um I don't know how much elections had been focused on getting people registered to vote as much as they were figuring out who was registered and turning those people out. And my guess is that and it wouldn't surprise me at all if as a function of this exercise, you actually registered a significant number uh, yeah. of new voters and that you didn't get them excited about the fact that uh, this was something that is now in their doorstep. I do, I, I agree. I don't think swing voters that are focused on a hundred other issues, but for a very short period of time each week are going to be animated by this. But I think in a base election, like an off year election, it is yeah. going to be very, very, very animating. And that's why Schumer was so animated himself and why he's so eager to tie this whole thing to Donald Trump. And he also knows, he knows the math and he knows he needs to get, you know, he needs to get a significant number of new Democratic senators. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned some of these races that, that are up. I mean, uh, I think we've mentioned this. We've got big races in the six closest presidential states in 2022. So the 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 uh, uh, yeah, turnout matters where, where these where these races are taking place are, are in areas in which we spent a lot of time focused just a few months ago in a presidential <laughs> right. race. And they're not in places you know, whether it's governors and Senate races in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, all of these races are places that took place with just, you know, tens of thousands, maybe in a couple yeah. places like a Michigan, a little bit bigger margin. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. So Gibbs. Yes, X. What state begins with the letter Q? I don't think there is one that begins with letter. Exactly. The world is full of fun facts like that. So let me give you another one. 
because here's a not so fun fact. Go for it. How much do Americans overspend on insurance every year? Ooh, I bet it's a lot of money. Billions, I bet. $21 billion every year. You know, folks, you deserve all the facts when it comes to insurance, and that's where the Zebra can help you. Tell them about it, Gibbs. The Zebra compares home and car insurance quotes from every major provider in under five minutes, giving you all the facts you need to make the right decision for you. And get this, Axe, it's all for free. It's the fastest way to find the right coverage at the right price, all from a provider that you can trust. In fact, the Zebra saves shoppers an average of $922. That's a lot. On home and car insurance combined. And that, Axe, is a very fun fact. It is fun if you got the 922, absolutely. And I have to tell you, having gone through this nightmare of uh, getting insurance, this really saves time, saves money. You have to take advantage of it. So get all the facts in one place and start comparing quotes for free today by visiting thezebra.com slash hacks. That's T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash hacks. Amy, one thing you noted in your in one of your columns, maybe it was the, the Heat Shield column, I don't think we're ever going to see Manchin's name on a ballot again. Uh, he's up for re-election in, uh, in uh, 24. He's going to be 75 years old. But, but more than that, uh, he's in a state that Republicans win by 35, 40 points in a presidential year. Yeah. That is a headwind that even Joe Manchin, who only won by 3% in 2018, uh, is not going to want to test. So, so if the arrow is facing down on the voting rights bills, uh, they they seem to be f- pointing up. You guys on the infrastructure segue uh, alert. Cut, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't we just do it without? It's so much. It's so much more seamless if we don't stop and admire our segues as we always do. <laughs> I'm admiring your segues. I know. I'm, I appreciate it. He's the king it. of segues. I know. I was really say, I, I, so think there's, I think there's a block of time on a schedule to <laughs> contemplate segues. Gentle transition. I do have a segue hour my, on my schedule. See, I knew day. you did. Yeah. I knew there was there's like a, a nice a room with candles and there's just some real exactly. focus on this. Yeah. Yes. I With arrows going up and down all over. But it's interesting because, uh, you know, people were throwing uh, dirt on the chances of Biden getting this infrastructure bill, uh, you know, just a week or two ago. It seems very doable now, Amy, doesn't it? I mean, this is the potential is really there when you get 11 committed Republicans, right? So you could say we've got our crossover votes. And if you have 11, you're going to get more than 11 at the end of the day. And now it just seems to me the question is, will progressives feel as if one, they can handle whatever the ultimate pay for is. Obviously, they don't want a gas tax. They don't. They want, don't want a yeah. gas tax, but neither does Biden, right? right? So they both made that a line in the sand, and they feel confident enough. And I don't know where this is that a vote on a second big human infrastructure, I guess we're calling it now, package, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, has the blessing of Mansion. And they will be able to do that on reconciliation. And that to me is the bigger, if, if I'm a progressive, 
I would say, okay, so here's my choices. We vote, we give Biden and Democrats a win. We all get a win. We can go home. We can talk about infrastructure. Everybody loves that. But the stuff, the real transformative stuff, the stuff that the president has gone out of his way promoting over and over again about building back better and doing more than just coming back to normal. Um, if the chances of that getting through the Senate, and by the way, remember Nancy Pelosi, you mentioned her before, David, in 2010, she had a big majority, yeah. uh, a bigger majority in 2009 yeah. than she did. Not and, easy and now. No. Now she's got three votes she can lose. That's it. And a progressive block of six. And everybody's watching Mansion and the art of leverage. Yeah. And uh, so, right. but it is interesting to me, I, I listened to uh, Bernie Sanders on uh, over the weekend mm-hmm. on one of the Sunday shows. And, you know, he was very circumspect. He had said originally he wasn't going to support the uh, compromise because it didn't include, because it included gas taxes and so on. But when Dana Bash, I guess it was, asked him uh, whether he would uh, support it if they changed the pay fors, he was, <laughs> well, we don't have the tape, but he said something like, well, we'll just have to see. We're going to have to see. <laughs> he was not saying no. And it's pretty obvious. Right. You can, we used to have yep. a, a speaker in the house in Illinois who said, uh, when uh, the deal was coming together, I can smell the meat cooking. And uh, you can sort of smell the meat cooking here. There's going to be some sort of understanding between Mansion and Cinema and the caucus on what they're willing to do on the reconciliation. Right. And they, in turn, are going to get the votes on this compromise, of which they are principal authors. You know, we've talked again about, um, or for most of this, about the the sort of managing expectations for democratic voters and keeping them engaged in a midterm and this is part of it too right i mean i think you're you you saw in a couple of polls recently that biden's job approval rating it's not that it's dipped because nothing dips these days (laughs) you know job approval ratings are so steady yeah but you know that that 90 plus percent support among democrats has gone down a little bit which i think is partly because you know as we've been talking about you come into office your guys in charge makes all these great pronouncements that first yeah. bill on COVID comes through, you know, inst- almost instantaneously, things are looking awesome. And then you hit these roadblocks and you go, Hmm, maybe, he, maybe they really can't get stuff done. Maybe this was all, they're weak, this, right? They're, they're weak. weak. They can't, they're not yeah. doing enough. Yes. They said they were going to be a trans, you know, transformational president. So, that also helps in terms of, you know, giving the base something to be um, excited about in the sense that it does matter to have this party in charge, right? If you're going out to voters and saying, you have to keep our party in charge because look what we did. Right. You got to have something you to do up. something. Yeah. 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 Well, and to it gives to their credit, you, you, you're a communications uh, whiz to their credit. They have been pretty disciplined about trying to keep the focus on the things that they can actually do, yes. uh, you know, on this infrastructure bill, you know, on the possibility of a reconciliation bill. Um, and their theory has been these are tangible things that people will feel in their lives. And if we get this stuff done, we will be uh, in good shape. And it's, you know, even if we can't get the other stuff that's important and everybody wants and is important to our even if we can't get that stuff done if we can get the big stuff done 
right. uh, you know, the tangible stuff done, then we, we're going to go into that midterm election with a story to tell. Yeah, and I think, I mean, look, I, I think the bipartisan bill, um, it, it, as we've talked about here, looks closer to fruition. I do think, though, and this is a little bit analogous to that voting rights, which is I think you've got, despite what what Bernie Sanders said to to Dana Bash, I mean, I I think there's a none of the none of the progressive senators is going to want to bring down the Biden presidency or stop the kind of momentum, because, as you mentioned, at the end of the day, it will be not how you got things done, but what you got done. I do think there is a sizable challenge, though, um, that that has to get addressed. And I assume that what you've talked about, David, is there is this agreement or th- th- this agreement is coming together with cinema and mansion to be for reconciliation, because I don't think you can leave things like the changes in climate infrastructure uh, you know, th- th- they can't sit at the train station while the literal train and tracks uh, get approved. And and I think because I-, I think when you get into that midterm election, you're going to want, to your point, this idea of we're in office and you can see the, the impact of what we have if we're in office, send us back. The-, the challenge you get, and we felt this in 2009 and 2010, is this the angst of Yes, but we didn't do it fast enough. We didn't get as much as we wanted. We didn't, and, and it's this. I worry less about the the argument about weakness. I worry more about this hand wringing of, you know, did we get the perfect thing? I mean, we we spent two years and probably, quite frankly, ten after that arguing about Obamacare. Was it strong enough? Did we do it right? Is there enough people? Blah blah. Thirty one million people right now get their insurance in some form or fashion through Obamacare. It's more popular than it's ever been before. Um, you know, and there's nothing worse than arguing about paragraph five, subsection C, clause two or whatever. Um, and I think this is going to be important. I think for Biden to get the bipartisan deal almost assumes he has to also get some significant part in reconciliation. I don't know if he gets the six trillion that Sanders and Schumer have been talking about, but I think there has to be some, (laughs) let me me just say this. There has to be some climate part of this. Brother Manchin may sign on to this reconciliation bill, but he's going to make damn sure that it's not, it doesn't look like the one that comes out of the budget committee. He's going to moderate that bill. I mean, I don't think there's any question about it. There will be, there may be substantial things in it, yeah. But it ain't going to be six trillion dollars, and that six trillion, right. by the way, I think would include some of the things that will be yes. subsumed by the uh, yeah, no doubt, by, bipartisan bill. But I think this is the challenge for the White House: is to keep that excitement and that tension high at the same time, balancing this idea that, and you know, Biden used to say this, right? You, you know, we, we, you, it's one thing to go into an election and be compared to your opponent. And Biden used to say this, you know, to us, like now that we're now we're being compared to the Almighty. Right. And it's it's somewhat hard to, to match up to the almighty. And and I think that's again, that's the that will be the challenge. And I think watching voter enthusiasm uh, numbers in some of these polling, watching sort of where where the base in that, you know, what, Amy, you just said, the approval rating of Democrats. How much time are you spending trying to get Democrats back on board will be an interesting facet to how these midterms can turn out. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. 
Gibbs, you are a famously private person, so this will resonate with you. Using the internet without ExpressVPN, well, that's like taking a call on a train or a bus or a speaker for everyone to hear. You don't want to be that person. Internet service providers know every single website you visit, Axe. ISPs can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. Creepy. But ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so people can't peep on your online activity. Fire up the app, click one button. It's rated number one by CNET Wired and The Verge. It works on phones, laptops, even routers, so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. That is so important. It really does creep me out that, you know, there's so much visibility into our lives as a result of this data. You need to secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash hacks on tap and you can get an extra three months free that's expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap three months free and privacy so there's an election today we just should get a segue alert kind of I think we need something. a we need like a yeah, like there has a, to be a jingle man. because that was like a yeah no you know or just like a subtle kind of dinging like you can start to begin to f- there we go there we oh, go yeah, thank you Jeff Fox our, our wonderful engineer is always on the he's always on the on the uh, cusp there you wanted a, the the torpedoes are in the water alert for your segue <laughs> change I don't know if that's uh, it's jarring but I'm gonna once again the utility of the segue is destroyed by the five minute discussion about the fact <laughs> of the segue but nonetheless we are making one to the New York City mayor's Happy race which Day. takes place today it's interesting this is a first the first time New York they used to have runoffs uh, now they're going to a ranked choice election system and one of the uh one of the things that we're told about ranked choice is you know it's always important you know because people because you get that there's value in being a second choice or a third choice as they winnow the field down uh and eliminate some of the lower finishers um it will moderate people's temperaments that these elections won't be as ugly jeff q uh Eric Adams, the front runner uh, on the final weekend of the campaign. What is Andrew Yang still doing in this race? <laughs> Listen, we, we know Andrew Yang is a fraud. He's a liar. We could care less about Andrew Yang. We are so focused on the race. He's a fraud. He's a liar. I don't know that the whole thing has worked all that well. but Although, David, it took till the last week of the campaign. That's true. To be fair. I mean... That that is true, and there haven't been the sort and there of haven't the been like negative two, ads have not exactly uh, no ne- yeah. negative. But it, okay, yes. all right, fair enough. Can we just point out that when somebody running for office mentions they're not focused on one of their opponents, it really means I feel like I need a segue <laughs> alert. It means they're focused on one of their opponents, right? Yeah. If well, if I'm not focused on you, I don't bring you up. I don't bring you up in order to tear you down. That's the other interesting thing about ranked choice voting. What happened over the weekend is uh, that Yang uh, campaigned with uh, one of his, Catherine Garcia, one of the other principal contenders in the race, and urged his voters to mark her number two, 
hoping that some of her voters would mark him number two. She didn't make the same appeal, weirdly. She didn't get the memo. But Adams went out and interpreted this as a voter suppression move and as an uh, anti-move to stop him as the front runner as an African-American. And, you know, smart people in New York uh, said to me this morning that Adams actually may have screwed himself because there are a lot of moderate white voters who are going to vote for him or mark him second who now may recoil uh, from him. So we'll we'll see there are four, probably four contenders there, the th- the, the uh, three of them and Maya Wiley, who's the progressive candidate. But the interesting thing is New York City, which, you, you know, is widely considered a bastion of progressivism. Three of the four front runners are are more moderate right. candidates. You know, there could be a lot of tea leaves read out of that. And Amy, the 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 issue that is defining that race is is crime. Right. Which uh, I think a lot of a lot of folks in Washington are going to be watching that uh, and how that unfolds, because Adams has propelled himself into the front runner position. He's a former police captain by basically, uh, you know, staking out a moderate position on policing, taking a firm position against defunding police and taking a position that you, you, you need to police without abridging people's civil rights and uh, take a very strong anti-crime position. And there are going to be a lot of people watching to see how that all works out. Isn't it kind of remarkable, and you all appreciate this better than most, which is, you know, the environment impacts the campaign more than the people impact the campaign, right? You can have a great message for one year or a great, you're a great candidate for one type of year, but a terrible candidate for another type of year. And, you know, Bill de Blasio got elected basically by running against stop and frisk, right? That this was uh, over-policing at a time when things were going well in New York, right? Right. There there wasn't, the the crime wasn't spiking, the economy was good, people were feeling uh, that that top issue was no longer at least, you know, way up there. And so you could run as a more progressive, especially on policing candidate. Now, in the wake of one, a crime wave and two, you know, a 2020 election where a lot of Democrats feel like that issue of defund the police cost them seats. Yes. Uh, this is no longer something that even in a city like New York, which you guys know is much more complicated yeah, than I've... what the stereotype of, you know, New York, it's liberal. No, right. it has, uh, you know, so many uh, different groups of people. So, you know, for every AOC, there are also plenty of more moderate to center left local elected officials. Yeah, well even among African American voters, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. the one of one of the we talked before about the the voter ID issue. There is this presumption that African American voters are uh are liberal. And, you know, there's a real split in New York. Adams is doing better among older African-American voters who are more conservative than uh, than younger African-American voters who are supporting Maya Wiley, AOC's candidate uh, there. You're right. New York, uh, New York is complicated. But uh, it's interesting to me that tomorrow the president is going out and doing a uh, press conference or a speech on crime and his anti-crime program. So he's obviously watching these tea leaves uh, as well. I mean, this this is going to, I mean, Republicans think they've got 
that it worked for them in 2020. They can make it work in 2022. He's trying to head them off at the pass. You look at so many of the races that are taking place in big cities like New York or the news that's happening around big cities. David, you you and I are in Chicago. You can't turn on Wait, the local news. Let me look out news. the window. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can't turn out you can't turn on the local news without seeing 5 minutes of crime stories, right? That maybe the most important political city in the country in Atlanta yeah. is going through there's going to be a you know a mayor in in Mayor Bottoms that that has decided not to run for re-election. There's going to be a hotly contested race and you've got a fairly wealthy neighborhood in Buckhead that's having a discussion about leaving the city of Atlanta. They've had this for decades. So I don't want to say this is just a one-off thing, but they've that that they're this is largely or, or being driven by a combination of tax dollars but also of crime. And I think it will it's very smart politically for the Biden administration. It's very smart for somebody I appreciate it as a former press secretary so that, uh, you know, when, when somebody in the third row says, you know, crime's an important issue. How come we haven't heard the president talk about it? Now Jen Psaki can say, well, on Wednesday, the president talked about crime and what we're doing about it. And so there's this like there's a fill in answer for this. But I think this is an issue that's not going away. To, to Amy's point, we, we saw that this did have we we've seen the polling on this. This had an impact on characterizing how Democrats were thought of in, a, yeah. in in places in which they were otherwise making gains. And the Biden, the Biden campaign was smart about getting out there very quickly and saying, that's not what we're for. Granted, he had 40 years of, of, of some, you know, pretty good blue collar connections. Um, but I think it's imperative that Biden not be the only Democrat that gets out there and does this over the next couple of days, because we know the one thing, too, about the national media is they will take a very complicated, nuanced race and pull out one thing and say, this is what it means for the entire world writ large with yeah. no exceptions. And this will be almost certainly at the end of this will be if Eric Adams finishes uh, as the next mayor, it will almost be overwrought in, in saying this. So they're very, I think, smart in doing this. Adams, Garcia, and Yang all have taken a position that is, uh, you know, to the right of the more outspoken police reform uh, voices in the Democratic Party. Yeah, I think, you know, there will be an outsized reaction to to what happens there. Uh, and people will read tea leaves because what else are we going to read in the middle of the summer before? <laughs> That's right. Why not yeah. take a Democratic primary and a huge city that looks nothing like any congressional district or Senate race. Right. Yes. But I do think it is, you know, and what else the national media loves, as you know, Robert, is we got to find, you know, our third story. Right. So we had New Mexico special election right. where the Republican did try to make the issue of crime and rising right. crime in Albuquerque yep. as a key issue. What did the Democrat do? She went up on TV directly addressing it. Bringing with in law enforcement, the sheriff. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now we've got New York, where again the front runners are saying, "We need cops. Yeah. We're not defunding police." Uh, so we need a third one, Robert. That's that's what we <laughs> got to find. And then, boom, we've got our story. We're going to run with that. Yes. Now we have a narrative. Now we have. Now a, we have uh, a narrative for the rest of the year. We'll find it. I'm sure it'll be. Usually, the Virginia's governor's race. I'll be curious. That's not really the issue as much as. Um, as I'm sitting here in Virginia, right. uh, where the issue they're really trying to run on, this will be the next piece. So it will be 
this is fascinating, you guys. We spent the first, well, we spent the first half talking about voting rights, but then about this big, big spending, right, big ticket right, items on infrastructure right. and potentially these other, uh, this American Families Plan. And yet what Republicans are talking about around the country, it's either the crime, the border, critical race theory, uh, and, you know, this sort of PCism. Right? Yeah, race and culture. It's it, and that's what we're getting here in Virginia. You know, the the it being about you know Democrats are going to close the schools, and when the schools do open or when they're doing them online, they're going to teach our kids about critical race America, theory yeah. and to hate America. Yeah. And um, so it's sort of fascinating that it, it's not the message of you put Democrats in charge. Look at what they do. They're going to everybody's taxes are going to go up. They just want to go on a spending binge. Instead, it's this really focused on issues that really are much more local, right? Like crime and schools and what is taught in schools is not something that you would think would show up in uh, federal yeah. races. I realize the governor's race is different, but in so many of these federal races, we're hearing the same thing. Yeah. But Robert, you grew up in the South. These are dog whistle issues, their race issues, their culture issues. This has sort of been a common thread through, uh, you know, in American politics forever, but certainly since the 60s. No doubt. And it's Trumpism. <laughs> you know? Well, I was going to say the, the only difference is um, a dog whistle is something only a few people can hear. And now we have, um, they're not dog whistles anymore. It's being all said out loud. It's very upfront. I mean, I, 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 look, I've been fascinated by the fact that I think if you look to your point, Amy, writ large at the Republican message, if we were sort of sifting it up and, and, and distilling it in one place, you know, cancel culture seems to have, no pun intended, easily trumped economics, taxes, spending, uh, e even to some degree inflation. I mean, I think, you know, as, as people have wanted to do the kind of traditional Republican message, you know, that usually goes for a few hours, then they get back to what's been canceled, what crazy things can they pull out of the, you know, the depths of the dark web and, and make a big issue. And, and it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I, you know, I think and I think New York will be fascinating. I think ranked choice voting. I think what will be also interesting is I think it is going to be uh, many days before we have any clue who the next mayor of New York is. Uh, that is because... Ranked choice voting will take a while, and inexplicably, uh, New York is seemingly terrible at counting votes, uh, which is a, you know. I think it'll be July 12th, probably, before we actually know who won. 2021 or 2020? Yeah, I didn't ask. That is a very good question. Yeah, see, yeah, Man, you didn't know. even go to law school. Yeah, see? So, I, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch and see. Um you know, kind of where where this all heads and 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 the impact. I mean, I think it will be again, I think we will we will be taking the tea leaves from this race regardless of of whether or not they're indicative of uh, lots of other places. Speaking of tea, I don't really have a good uh, segue to the mailbag, but uh, that's all I had. If you have questions for the hacks, send them to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. We've got some fresh ones here. Amy, Michael, 
asks, with the availability of some sort of third-party option at the state or even the district level, something that enables someone who loses to a pro-Trump candidate in the Republican primary to still have a place on the November ballot, be a way to chip chip away at the stranglehold that the base, in quotation marks, has on Republican incumbents and candidates for office? Well, Michael... Good question about uh, the third party option, or at least it seems like what you're saying is, can somebody who loses a Republican primary still come on the ballot? Um, Now, in some states, there are sore loser rules where if you lose in a primary, you're not allowed to come in and run as an independent. Other states do not have that rule. So you actually can qualify still to run as an independent, I have not memorized those states which do and don't have sore <laughs> loser rules. I'm sorry, but well, we next time that. you come back, we're going to want to know. Next time I come on, I got to memorize yeah. those. But yeah. I think it's it. Look, we spent a lot of time today talking about ranked choice voting, and theoretically, that's right. That's the theory of ranked choice voting, and we saw this in my state of Virginia, where in the uh, convention, the Republican convention in Virginia, in order to, they said this was, you know for other reasons, but it was pretty clear that the Republican establishment in the state decided to go with ranked choice voting to pick their nominee in part because their candidate who was really the Trumpiest, this woman named Amanda Chase, had a core constituency that was big enough to win in a crowded primary, right? But not with a majority. So ranked choice voting in a primary is also a way to in some ways, allow someone, or maybe a ranked choice voting in other places, theoretically allows the candidate who isn't the, I, I think it's it's all, all but impossible for an anti-Trump Republican to get very far in a primary. But for a candidate who is not considered the Trump acolyte to win, um, that would be helpful is to have a, a process like that. Yeah, which is w- what Murkowski is looking at in uh, That's exactly Alaska right. and exactly. one of the reasons why she's going to probably prevail there. Sorry, Mr. President. And sits in the Senate because of a write-in, right? Yeah. yeah. So Robert Gibbs, the questioner who wins the farthest away award today is Nick, who's an avid listener, he reports, from Melbourne, Australia. And he tells us that Australia has a voting turnout of 95% due to compulsory voting. We've had elections where there were 103% turnout in Chicago, so I don't know why that's so big. But I'm just doing Murphy's part now, dumping on my hometown. Why don't you have that in America? It would obviously eliminate voter suppression and disenfranchisement. Also, we don't have to show ID and fraud is non-existent. And voting always takes place on a Saturday. I'm moving to Australia. I was going to say, I don't know whether this is a, a question for us or a, a genuine appeal for millions of Americans to head south. <laughs> it uh, it, it sounds like a Matilda. It, uh, it sounds Matilda. Uh, sounds wonderful. We're ready to go. Yeah. I'm not going to point out my my nit with Nick's question is if you have compulsory voting and only 95 percent vote, it it seems as if it might not be completely compulsory. I do think a lot of reforms that Nick mentions are reforms that a lot of people, particularly Democrats, would like to see come to elections in the United States at a state and local level, to have um, a holiday so that we don't have to worry about 
um, standing in line. That's in the um, mansion bill and the other go. bill as right. well, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and to, to have, I, I think compulsory voting will be hard to get to. We can't even get most of our people vaccinated. I don't know that voting is, uh, that might be a, a mountain too high to climb. But I think a lot of the reforms that you talk about, particularly, again, a, a national holiday that removes the barriers of whether it's work or, or the challenges of that, uh, I think would be good and important. I think all too often, there's no doubt that however many people vote in New York, it is going to be a minority of people in a city picking their leader. And when you get into some of these local elections, Amy, you talked about Virginia. I mean, we're they're picking mayors and and state officials and legislative officials with a tiny fraction of the vote representing 100% of the people. And so I do think the long term is we've got to figure out how to get more people involved. Elections, particularly negative ones, tend to push people away from doing that. Uh, so anything that we can get that might add people to participating positively in this process, uh, I think would not just help elections, but almost assuredly improve the outcome of government. Very, very inspiring. Nick, not going to happen. None of the the stuff he talked about is going to happen. Because as we talked about, if you've been listening from the beginning, uh, and this is not a partisan point, this this is a clinical analysis. Republicans don't want everybody voting. If everybody votes, they're going to lose a lot of races. Trump said it. McConnell's basically said it. They don't want everybody voting. So screw Australia. Listen, here's the great irony, though, David, you had record turnout in 2020. A lot of those low propensity voters voted for Trump. Yeah, I was about to say. Right. Yes. These these non-traditional voters, people who maybe they'd been registered, but they hadn't voted in years. Maybe they had never registered, but they did this year. People who we do not consider part of the group of of folks that uh, campaigns are are trying to speak to. They turned out and voted. And they voted for Republicans. And yeah, so yeah. assumptions about, well, if we make the voter pool too big, we're going to lose. A lot of that got thrown out. Uh, this agreed. But it, there's no doubt that the rationale behind a lot of what we've seen in states like Arizona right. and Texas and Georgia has been to try and keep particularly younger voters, voters of color uh, from 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 voting. And, yeah. uh, you know, we'll we'll. We'll see where that all leads, but this is a this is a survival technique for the Republican Party in places where the Republican Party is shrinking. Yeah, I do wonder though. You know, to Amy's point, and we didn't get a chance to talk about her column. We did talk about some of them, but not one of the more recent ones. That I do think don't you know, start though, because we're almost out of time. No, no, here. I was just going to say, but I think her point that uh, that this idea that that Republicans. We, we always look at elections not about what we think is going to happen in the future, but what we think has already happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And it, it, yeah. tends to, it tends to govern how we make those decisions. And I do wonder if Republicans, you know, aren't, to, to, to Amy's point and what we saw in some of the exit polling and some of the, the, the voting, you know, is if there isn't an opportunity for them to get a lot more people involved that they're not getting involved. But an issue for another day. I'm voting for Amy Walter as Hack of the Month, maybe Hack of the Year. There you go. Mm. We appreciate having you. We want you to come back Absolutely. often. And uh, Gibbs, I will see you soon. And uh, Murphy will be back next week. 
And uh, see you later, folks. It's a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.